Welcome to Leap Listens. I'm Sarah McGregor. And I'm Roger Cadis. Today we're chatting with a board-level creative director and award-winning copywriter by background, with over 20 years' experience in employer, consumer and corporate comms. A big believer in the power of language to shape thinking and change behaviour, he has developed tones of voice for, amongst others, English National Opera, Birmingham Rep and The Diamond Store. As well as writing campaigns, sites and scripts, he consults on brand language and has edited a book on employer branding. His second children's book, which is all about the world's most unlucky kid, is out later this year. But Leap Listens feels very lucky to welcome Andy Rigdon. Great to be here. Um, Thanks for having me on. Hi, Andy. So today we're going to be talking about the employer tone of voice. So, Andy, we've worked with organisations' tones of voice guidance, uh, but that's generally to their customers or users of their services. Sometimes it might be for for candidates, but how often have you um, encountered guidance around how companies speak to their employees? The simple answer is quite a lot. Tone of voice is all around how a, a business or brand expresses its personality in language. And it's quite a well-established idea in marketing. I help uh, define and express employer brands for Nestle and Cargill, amongst other kind of big businesses, over 10 years ago, just to give you kind of an idea of how well-established it is. And all all of those projects involve tone of voice guidance. So, yeah, the the answer is I have seen businesses kind of talking to, to their employees with kind of established guidance for some while. I think what's changed, though, is that organisations have become increasingly aware of the power of language over the last few years. And that's got to stem from the pandemic. So I I think what's happened is that people uh, begun working remotely or there's been sort of blended ways of working. And a lot of the informal ways of communicating with people, those kind of, you know, the so-called water cooler moments are just not happening and haven't happened for the last two years. So more formal language and guidance around that more more formal language, it's just been incredibly important. And progressive organisations have sort of woken up to that fact. So people are addressing formal language guidance directly. And, you know, that's why, in my experience, the internal tone of voice has had a renewed focus. What would you say the challenges are for organisations who don't have an internal or employer tone of voice? And actually, does it matter? Yes, I think it does matter. Um, I think without some sort of formal guidance, particularly if you're an organisation of a certain size, then the danger is kind of at best your comms become inconsistent. And and what happens is sort of internally different voices emerge from different parts of the organisation. Now, maybe they're different teams, maybe they're different sort of business units or even different geographies. And I've seen this where sort of, you, you know, you might have legal teams uh, adapting a more sort of legalese way of approaching their comms um, IT teams can have a, a, a quite sort of a authoritarian way of perhaps announcing security patches to the organization so you get these variances with um, with teams across a, a big organization and that's kind of you know that's the best case scenario I think in the worst case scenario you get a sort of a, a race to the bottom with the language of comms and it can and it can actually become quite disengaging a lack of clarity grows up if there's no formal guidance. And that that particularly happens with 
technical or engineering-led organisations, which are full of very bright subject matter experts, but they're not necessarily people that are, are, are natural communicators. And they call Stephen Stephen Pinker's got a really nice phrase for this. He, he calls it the curse of knowledge. So you know, if you know your subject back to front, then you assume a lot of knowledge. Uh, in your audience and I think that's what often what happens with these organizations they they assume knowledge particularly when say engineers are writing for a non-engineering audience and what happens there is that that the language internally becomes full of jargon and a bit unclear and that can seep out of the organization to other audiences to client audiences so you know you you're you're in a you're in a dangerous position there if you haven't got some sort of guidance around the way that you should be writing and speaking yeah, and we've seen that, haven't we, when we've done audits on on companies. And I, I love, you know, the the example that we had from like the security team, obviously, who were, you know, a lot of them are ex-military, um, ex-police force and, you know, writing all in caps. And it's all very, you know, wear your mask, you know, and, and all of it. <laughs> it was just quite yeah, interesting, but- wasn't it, to see how, how the, that sort of language came across from different areas of, you know, in different departments. I was um, listening to the podcast. I had Stephen Bartlett on it, and he was saying one of his things is that he cannot stand any kind of notes that are like "Who's stolen my milk?" or um, "Keep your hands off my butter" kind of thing. Um, anyone in the organisation was found to have written any of those kind of notes, then they would get a call from him. And I suppose that's a kind of tone of voice that speaks to the brand, doesn't it? Even though it's a really small example. You know, you think about the way that an organisation sort of works. There was so you use language in so so many different ways. You know, from from sort of. All, all comms emails about new business wins to, as you say, you're like, you know, get your hands off my butter <laughs> type notes. <laughs> and, you know, great, great tone of voice guidance has got that sort of um, flexibility to capture what, what, I, what you call the, the voice and the tone of, of, of comms. You know, that, that's, that's really important. If, you, if you're developing a tone of voice for an organisation, you need to be able to do both. Um, that leads on nicely to a question which you're probably asked quite a lot, which is, what is the difference between voice and tone? The, the voice of an organisation, it's the core consistency. Um, so it's the, it's the core traits, the core qualities that are going to be there in all of the comms. So whether it's a, um, you know, whether it's announcement about a, a big business change or whether it's, you know, something uh, much simpler about kind of a, a, a a new joiner, for instance. So they will, they will have certain core traits in all of that comms. The tone is how those core traits flex for the different audience or the different situations that the writing is for. So, you know, if you're, say, announcing a, a redundancy or a, or a big change program, you're going to have, you're going to dial up and down very different traits to if you're announcing the office party. Can I just quickly test out my analogy on you for this, which is that you know that it's Freddie Mercury singing, but it could be a love song or it could be some heavy rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I have never heard the, the uh, Freddie, Freddie, me- Freddie Mercury metaphor. It's a Roger special, yeah, I, isn't it? <laughs> I, think, I think that works, definitely. Yeah, you know, it's, okay, a, right. it's a you Freddie can... ballad. It's, yeah, it's something. So, yeah. so you know, it's him. That's that's your your voice. But you know, it could be a range of different songs. You can have, you can have that, Andy. Okay, I'll take that. I'll work that in. <laughs> Brilliant. 
So Andy, what would you say are the most effective ways to roll out a, a tone of voice? You know, you, you need some sort of guidance. You need some, some you need to commit something to writing that can act as a sort of referee for everybody that people can reference back and say, okay, that's our tone of voice. I mean, you don't want a massive great manual of tone of voice guidance. It's, it's one of those things that that's having too much guidance is self-defeating. And it, what ends up happening is that you just build up this, this dusty old manual that sits on a desktop or it sits in a desk drawer and nobody references it because it's so detailed. But, you know, the other end of the spectrum is you don't want something that's too light and there's no, um, there's no substance to it. So you, you, want, you want some sort of guidelines that are nice and usable, that are full of examples. That's really, really important that people can say, well, OK, this is, this is the new tone of voice. How does that apply to me and my writing, the bit of the business that I'm in? And those guidelines are really important as well. They've got to be created with the business. Ideally, you want, a, you want a group of stakeholders who are feeding into the tone of voice and they're making it very real for their organisation. So this is the thing that tone of voice guidance, if they're built around guidelines and, a, and a, one of the traits say that they're going to be built around is, I know, for instance, uh, we're a maverick organisation. What a maverick organisation means is it, there's such a spectrum of that. So for one organisation, it might mean oh, okay, we're comfortable using swear words in informal settings internally with the business. For another organisation, it will mean, well, you know, every now and again, we might be comfortable using a, a contraction and, and saying, you know, <laughs> aren't rather, rather than yeah. cannot. You know, it's a, a maverick is a, is, a, is a very intangible abstract quality. So the process of developing your guidelines is you need to be writing lots of things for your for your organisation and testing them out. Say, okay, is this what you mean by Maverick? Or is it this what you mean? So it's a very interactive thing. You get, you get people's feedback all the way along. So a set of guidelines is really important. Training is really important as well. You need to make the guidelines real for people. And this is, this is one of the big challenges about tone of voice projects is that people aren't, most people aren't professional writers. Most people in an organisation will write. But, but again, most people won't write eight hours a day. They might write for an hour, a couple of hours. If you are asking non-professional writers to bring a tone of voice to life, you've really got to give them some good, solid training, which introduces them to the concept itself. But it also then introduces them to some writing techniques that can you know, really help bring it to life. So that's really important. Then the third thing that's really important is embedding the tone of voice in the organisation. And that's about having some resources, you know, getting a central library of good copy examples, good tone of voice examples. And ideally, the process itself will identify some champions, some people that really within the organisation really enjoy the process of writing. And once you've got those champions, they can help sort of run train the trainer sessions and make the uh, tone of voice fly within the organisation. Thanks, Andy. So we're coming to the end of our, our chat now. So finally, one last question. When you've previously done the workshops in the past, I know a popular question that's come up is around writer's block. And I know you've given some great advice. Um, one of them I've used, which is just pretend that you're having a conversation with someone, you're trying to explain something. And it's a really great tip to, to get you, to, you know, get those words on the paper. What other tips and advice can you give in terms of writer's block? 
you know, I've been writing for a long time, sort of 20 plus years. I still get writer's block. I don't know anybody that doesn't get writer's block, but different things work for different people. So these are some things that work for me. One of the things, it's, it's a slightly crazy sounding thing, but I, uh, I use different fonts. So I, I think lots of writers have a favorite font. So when they present some copy, they will always present it in the same font. So what I always try and say to people is when you're writing your first draft, and particularly if you're struggling with a bit of writer's block, don't use your final draft font. Use a completely different font. The, the thing that happens with me is I, I write something and then I self-edit as I go along and I read it and I just think, oh my God, that's just, that's dreadful. It's just pants. I can't show anybody this. But if I'm sort of, if I'm writing in a font, which is clearly not my finished font, I just think, well, I'm just sticking things down on paper. So it, it tricks my brain to keep going, basically. The second thing I, I find helpful is um, when, I'm, when I'm feeling stuck, I move about. So it, even something as simple as standing up and walking around the room sometimes can sort of unlock, unlock your flow a bit and get you going. The last tip is placeholder copy. So if you're, if you're writing a long passage... And, you know, you're going, you're going great guns and it's all going well. You get a few paragraphs in and then you, you hit a sticky patch and you kind of, you know what you want to say. You can't find the words to say it. Then putting in some placeholder copy at that point, you know, just saying here's where the, um, the section about the benefits goes or here's, here's where we, we talk about the, the change program. You know, putting in some placeholder copy can really, really help. Great writers use placeholder copy. I heard a a lovely story recently about um, Paul McCartney writing yesterday and he, he had the melody for yesterday and he got that really early on and he, and he knew how the song was going to unfold musically but he just couldn't find the words so for ages and ages the placeholder copy he had for you know yesterday I believe in yesterday his placeholder copy was scrambled eggs oh my baby I love your scrambled eggs <laughs> and that was that that was just great and then eventually, one day, I think John Lennon, This maybe it's an apocryphal bit, but maybe John, John Lennon said, I think it should be yesterday. And then that was it. That's and, brilliant. You know, you I've went, never heard of that. Yeah. It, it's, just one of, it's just one of those little things. I think placeholder copy as a, you know, as a, as a technique can really help. Just you want to try and keep that sense of flow going and, you know, kind of crack on to the end. If you get to the end of your first draft, you've done 80% of your job. Excellent. Great Brilliant. advice. Yeah, really great advice. Well, Andy, I think we're at end of our time now. So yeah. thank you so much for your time and great advice and tips. Hopefully we'll see you soon. Yeah. Thanks, Look, Andy. Thanks again. No, not at all. Thanks again for having me on and uh, take care and good luck. Oh, it's always so great, isn't it, chatting to Andy? He's just so interesting, you know, talking all things language and he's always got some great advice. He has and he's a thoroughly nice chap too. Yes, he is. And what's interesting about today's discussion is to, you know, really understand that actually internal comms doesn't just come from the internal comms team. It comes from, you know, other departments as well. And having those set of employee like guidelines around your sort of tone of voice really does help to ensure that you're communicating consistently to all of your, you know, thousands of employees. Yeah, I think that point came across very strongly. And Rog, I loved your Freddie Mercury analogies, especially being a big Queen fan. <laughs> do you know what? I knew you'd do something like that. I think we should end it now before you have the opportunity to do another another Queen pun. So thank you, everyone. <laughs> another podcast by Thelast. Cheers. <laughs>